0: Welcome to the Answering Religious Error Show. My name is Brian Garlock. Today is Wednesday and it is 12 p.m. Eastern Time. That means it is time for our live Bible Q&A. If you have a Bible question, email us now, questions at com, or private message us on our Facebook page. That is facebook.com slash answering religious error. We want to take your question, but those really are the only two ways we can get your question. You can email us or you can private message us on our Facebook page. Uh, A lot of shares go out for these videos. And so if you just comment on a video, we might not see your question. If we haven't got to your question in a while, it's because you haven't emailed us or you haven't private messaged us. Sometimes we see questions or comments made on these videos and we just, we're not able to keep up with them and we lose them. So please email us so we can get to your question. We want to also make note about The Daily Answer podcast with Mark Dunnigan. He's on the show today. He is the host of that podcast, and it goes out every Monday through Friday at 5 a.m. Eastern Time. And so we'd encourage you to check that out. You can go to all major podcast platforms, search for The Daily Answer or for Answering Religious Error. We also upload all our shows, uh, our Tuesday night Bible studies, as well as our live Bible Q&As on Wednesday. Uh, are found there on those podcasts, but more specifically, the Daily Answer podcast with Mark Dunnigan. Gentlemen, it's good to see each and every one of you. Looking forward to the show. We've got a lot of questions lined up for today. Terry, Nick, Bob, Mark, and Brian, good to see y'all. How are y'all doing?
1: i fine. Good to be here.
0: I couldn't be better. Uh, Bob, did you get a new layout there? New camera or something? Yeah, I
1: got some new new bookcases back there uh, for nice. my keel. Michael came up yesterday and put them together for me, and I was up last night loading the books back on them.
0: Yeah, it looks nice. Uh, I took all my books off, so not, I don't look smart anymore without all, with all the books. You did. Uh, thank you, appreciate it. <laughs> it
2: just means you absorbed all that knowledge. It's I did. In your head.
0: I did. You
3: don't need the books.
0: You're right. All right, this is our live Bible Q and A. Let's start with a word of prayer. Mark Dunnigan, I'm going to ask you us uh,
3: go to our father in prayer dear lord we are so grateful for this day for the chance that you've given us to just the privilege of looking into your word we're grateful for the questions that have been submitted we pray for good and honest hearts and we pray that people would be open to your truth to realize that it is in their best interest both here and in eternity that you have the answers, that you have the answers to the questions and challenges that they're up against. That you are the great shepherd and that you are the fountain of living water that can quench their quench their spiritual thirst. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Appreciate that prayer, brother. All right, this is our live Bible Q&A. If you have a Bible question, email us, questions at answeringreligiousair.com Private message us on our Facebook page. You can go to our Facebook page which is facebook.com slash error. Before we begin with our questions, it is meme time. All right, today's meme sent in by a viewer says the Bible. Side effects may also include racism, sexism, homophobia, paranoid delusion, crusades, inquisitions, genocide, genital mutilation, logical fallacies, familiar strife, lack of scientific understanding, superstition, and magical worldview. So they're saying the Bible includes all of these things. He goes on to say, the meme writer does, if you experience any of these side effects, drop this bronze age, and then we had to uh, censor a word there, immediately and learn to enjoy your life in the real world. Terry Benton, you're right underneath me, so let's start with you. And you're muted, brother.
2: All right. I would say that's a, a very foolish statement. Uh, side effects of the Bible is racism? Uh, no. Sexism? No. Homophobia? No. Uh, it does look at all of these things he's mentioned and, and says there's sin involved. And so it does expose sin, but it doesn't promote All of these sins and to say it's superstition well that's just an assumption that there is no God and you have to first prove that you can't prove that and the Bible uh, is simply testimony of God it is uh, it is a package of 66 books that were written over 1500 years and with about 40 different writers all of them testifying of what God revealed to them so that the Bible could be presented to all the world. So it, it, it includes exposing all of these sins, maybe even giving a lot of examples of such sins. Uh, the superstition is not ever associated with God. It's with idolatry. Uh, the superstition is exposed. Uh, it, it even says that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. So it exposed that because that itself, atheism is a form of superstition and actually a magical worldview. Uh, Why would I say that? Well, because they believe in the power of nothing to create something. And then and then create everything. That's magical. That's not depending upon a superpower like God, and is revealed in the Bible. So I would say that the side effects of atheism would be racism and sexism, mm-hmm. and uh, the promotion of uh, all kinds of homosexuality and perverse sins, even uh, pedophilia. Uh, it would promote paranoid, uh, uh delusions. It would, pr- it, uh, I would say the crusades was not promoted by the Bible or God. Uh, it's actually in spite of the Bible, in spite of God, uh, the inquisitions would not be something that the Bible promoted. Uh, it would actually be something that man did in spite of the Bible. So a lot of things are done. Uh, Jesus says a lot of people do things in my name, but they're not actually in my name. Uh, You can you can accuse people of sin, but you can't accuse the Bible of promoting these particular things. I would say the Holocaust, uh, millions of people executed. That's because of unbelief in God, not because of belief. So I would say because of atheism, drop it immediately because it is superstitious, it believes that nothing can create everything, and it can actually create life, and it can actually create uh, intelligence without any reason to do so. That's pretty, pretty magical, it sounds to me. But at least the Bible, on the other hand, in giving examples of sin, and in giving uh, an exposition of what is sin, is so that we could become more conscious and control our actions and our attitudes rather than give in to those things. So the Bible actually says, put on the brakes and here, here are reasons to, uh, to put on the brakes, but atheism says, well, you don't have to put on the, on the brakes. You can do whatever you want to, even if it means pedophilia, if even if it means all kinds of sexual deviancy, thievery and murder, It's every man for himself. It's power makes right. So if you experience those side effects, attribute it to the right thing. It's atheism. It's lack of belief in God, lack of belief in the Bible. And so enjoy the life God designed for you to enjoy because you're not going to enjoy it if everybody becomes an atheist. You are in serious danger of a very corrupt world and you won't wanna live in that world. Those are my thoughts.
0: Amen, Terry, appreciate those excellent comments there. Brian, what you got for me? Well, looking at this meme and I gotta say,
4: really, I only find one problem with it. And the problem is that the title is wrong. This isn't (laughs) the Bible that we're talking about. This is is what a lot of people today call the science. Uh, Not real science, by the way, but what people call the science. Because the science, uh, racism, who, uh, who really invented racism? Charles Darwin, when he wrote The Descent of Man, uh, explicitly described the idea of the racial distinctions between people as a result of science and that the white race was the supreme race. Oh yeah, the science gave us racism. Sexism, the science gave us sexism. Homophobia, of course it was the science. Paranoid delusions, crusades, inquisitions, genocide. Uh, everything on this list can be pointed back to uh, man think, the idea of how people applied the world and how people put things together and the results of that. And uh, Terry made some great points to point out that things like the Holocaust or uh, all sorts of genocides oftentimes are based in people who have a scientific thinking, which again, it's, it's the common or the popular science thinking of the time where people are discounting things that the Bible has said. People are discounting things that are revealed to us and instead going on their own way. So really one mistake with it. And that is that he misspelled science at the beginning when he wrote down instead Bible.
0: Mm. Mark, what you got?
3: Good points, Brian. Um, My thought would be, is that, okay, if you get, if there is no God and the Bible's not his word, then there are nothing, there's nothing wrong with everything on that list. There's nothing wrong with genocide. And that, that that would be what I would press on the meme writer. Okay, so you don't believe there's a God, you don't believe the Bible's His Word. Okay, what's wrong with genocide? Is it just your opinion? Uh, because outside of God and the Bible, you would have no absolute standard of right and wrong and truth. Brian makes a good point. Is that it's it's without when people don't follow the Bible, that's when racism surfaces, that's when paranoid delusions surface, etc. When people don't follow the Bible, they create crusades, they create inquisitions, they create genocide, they create logical fallacies. That's my thought.
0: Thanks. I appreciate it, Mark. Bob. You're muted there. Uh, well,
1: I was muted because I didn't have any comment on this chart.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I thought you had said comment. My bad. Well, I,
1: All I, right. then, I then said uh, I'm good. Everybody oh. covered
0: the things that I was going to say. My bad. Misunderstood you there, brother. All right. Appreciate those comments there, guys. If you need any more clarification, uh, have any questions on those actual uh, subjects there that the meme talks about, you can email us questions at answering religious error. but We'd also, or com, but we also would uh, appreciate it if you would send in your memes if you have any that uh, maybe is causing some trouble. Maybe you see going around on Facebook that you think that uh, is contrary to the Word of God and that could cause some uh, strife with uh, Christians, then please email us or private message us on our Facebook page. All right, our first Bible question for today is What is the Orthodox Church? What is the Orthodox Church? Who wants that one first?
2: Well, I'll go ahead and say it's often the claim of being the original or uh, the authentic or the original sound faith that was delivered. So it's usually a claim to uh, the original sound doctrine that was originally given by the Holy Spirit. It has resulted in uh, a lot of people claiming that without actually being able to prove that a, a church in uh, the Catholics kind of divided with an Eastern Orthodox church, both making claim to be the original and the sound uh, sound group, but neither one of them being able to actually prove that. So the only way that you could prove orthodoxy or soundness is to go to the scriptures, the Bible, and see what the Bible shows to be sound doctrine and then just stay with the Bible, uh, as Peter would say, uh, speak as the oracles of God, and that would be true orthodoxy. That would be true soundness. If you were staying with the Bible, those are my thoughts.
0: All right. Appreciate it. Uh, Brian, what you got?
4: Uh, Just just say, sometimes people are referring to the Eastern Orthodox denomination too, if they ask that question, uh, Eastern Orthodox denomination is the parallel of the Catholic church. Uh, when the Roman Empire broke into two halves, it broke into a Latin half and a Greek half. And the, the church that was associated with the government uh, on, the, on the Roman half, the Latin half became the Roman Catholic Church and the Greek half became the Greek Orthodox or the Eastern Orthodox Church. Um, Islam is the reason that they're not on equal footing anymore. Islam wiped out most of the Eastern Orthodox churches, including the biggest one in Constantinople. So what we have today, the Russian Orthodox, uh, Greek Orthodox, Ukrainian Orthodox, are just uh, mere shadows of those things. But sometimes that's what people refer to, too, when they ask that question.
0: All right. Appreciate the question there. All right. Next question that we have. Oh, Mark, did you have one?
3: Yeah, uh, Brian, those are good thoughts there. I I think there's also something here um, uh, that uh, they accept like what the first seven ecumenical councils. Is, is some of it. Also, they reject instrumental music. I think there was a division there with Catholicism. They also reject the Pope as the head of the church, as, as Christians do. Uh, Jesus is the only head of the church. And yet, and yet, they, they have patriarchs. They have individuals that oversee vast areas or have a vast jurisdiction. I think also, uh, Brian Haynes, it seems like that the Orthodox Church, it's into the liturgy, right? I mean, it seems like they put a big emphasis on, they claim that the liturgy they have goes back to ancient times. The trouble is that when you pick up the New Testament, you will not find the liturgy, uh, liturgy of the Orthodox Church in your, in your, in your New Testament. M- my impression, Brian, has been that um, if you go to a Catholic service and a Eastern Orthodox service, you're going to see a lot of similarities, particularly you're going to see a lot of similarities of human tradition, of human rights that they're following. And so my, I, I follow the church that you can read about in the Bible that Jesus established. And and that's where my authority is going to come from. And, and that's where my worship, as far as when we meet publicly, is going to come from.
0: Good comments there, brother. All right, next question did Matthew misunderstand what the sign was given to Ahaz in Isaiah 7, 14 through uh, 16? This is a live question from David. Appreciate the question there, brother. Uh, Brian, let's start with you. What you got for me? Yeah, yeah
4: of course. Uh, David, I think I think I know why you're asking this, and uh, I appreciate your reaching out on this. Of course, what we often say is, you know, there is a case that some people make that in, in the Hebrew language, uh, the terminology that Isaiah used about the 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 virgin giving birth is that it could be a young woman giving birth. Uh, But of course the language that Matthew uses is very explicit that it is in fact, the idea of a virgin, that is giving birth and he applies it that way. And perhaps one of the important ideas is to say that with the inspiration of Matthew, we, we would suggest that we don't find an error there. Uh, in fact, uh, since, since Isaiah doesn't really have a specificity there, it could be virgin as in a woman, untouched, uh, chaste, or it could be a virgin as in a young woman. Matthew is, is clarifying for us w- with the gift of the Holy spirit to let us understand specifically that what Isaiah meant to what he is saying are the same. So that would be the, Uh, way we might look at that passage.
0: Yeah, Good comment. Bob?
1: Also, uh, many times what we have in the Old Testament is a a statement that is uh, providing a prophetic type. And so there was one aspect of that prophecy that was fulfilled. And it was fulfilled by a young woman giving birth. And this child's uh, many things are said about this child in Isaiah. But what Matthew is doing, he's using that as a, as a type of Jesus Christ, which is why, uh, which is what Isaiah meant to provide a type of Jesus Christ. We see this many times. Hosea, I think, 13.1, uh, I have brought my son out of Egypt, uh, referring to calling the Israelites out of Egypt under Moses, uh, but uh, but God uh, or the angel speaking to Joseph in a dream in, in Luke chapter two said, I want you to take the child to Egypt. But, and then Luke says that it might be fulfilled. Uh, I have brought my son out of Egypt. And so uh, Hosea 13 one is referring to, some, I think that's chapter and verses right. Y'all can correct me if it's not. one uh, referring to something in the Old Testament that had already occurred, yet it is used as a, as a prophetic type. And we have all kinds of prophetic types. David, uh, the Messiah is called David. Uh, John the Baptist was called Elijah. Uh, not that they were those persons, but that those persons in the Old Testament were typical or prophetic types of uh, that which was to come in the New Testament. And that's what I think we have in Isaiah chapter seven, uh, here's a, a child that's going to be born, and this child will be a type. And while that woman may not have, well, certainly she wasn't a virgin, but Mary was. And so a type and the fulfillment of that type, type and anti-type, we see that throughout the Old Testament, prophetic types fulfilled in the New Testament.
0: All right, and that's Hosea 1. Okay, yeah, thank you, but appreciate the comment. Uh, Terry, what you got?
2: Well, um, I was going to say a lot of what Bob was saying, but adding uh, to that, just uh, Jesus said that he would send the spirit so that they would have recall of all that he said unto them. And so the Holy Spirit was going to guide them into all truth. Uh, John 16, 13, I believe. So if the Holy Spirit is guiding these writers and they're, they've had, you know, they've had time to to, to sort out whether this is actually what Isaiah 714 was saying. Uh, they've had time f- to make mistakes and then the Holy spirit correct that. So it seems to me that Matthew is writing by inspiration of the Holy spirit. And so he is correcting any misunderstanding about that. And he may be, like Bob was saying, he may be building off that the that the anti-type, the real thing, is superior in quality than the type that was given in Isaiah. So one thing can be a be a type, but the greater thing is going to be the anti-type, and that's what Jesus is. He was born, as Matthew says, of a virgin.
0: All right. Appreciate uh those answers there. If you need any more clarification, please reach out to us, email us, or private message us on our Facebook page. Next question that we received, uh, given the approved example of the method used to select Matthias to take the place of Judas in Acts 1, and that the scriptures say the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord in Proverbs sixteen thirty three, why is this not the primary authorized method for Christians to make disciples today? That's a good question uh maybe we should kind of define what casting lots is if we know and then uh, we can answer this question for her uh let's see here mark let's start with you see what you got to say
3: it's interesting brian in acts one acts one is that we need to select someone to take the place of judas and the holy spirit gives the qualifications that is it must be someone who's a witness of the resurrected Christ, someone who had been with them from the beginning. Just so happens there are two equally qualified individuals that they bring forward. They're equally qualified. They both have all the qualifications. The thing is, Brian, though, only one can be selected. And one has to be selected. And I think this is an interesting situation where we have two equally qualified Individuals and they cannot both be appointed. And so we're going to let God make the decision. We're going to cast a lot. Um, And I guess, I I assume the lot could take a few different forms, whether a stone with a mark on it or whatever, but, you know, um, and that's what they did. I think it's important on Proverbs 16. I don't think Proverbs 16 ever meant that anytime that you're going to draw straws or cast a lot or flip a coin, um the, the the way it comes out is is that that's the lord's will on something i think that would clearly be a misuse of the passage a- acts 1 again i think what makes it really really important is that we're following god's conditions here's the conditions for a future apostle okay we got those conditions we're not making them up god said there's the conditions we have two men, we have two men that equally meet the conditions but we can only choose one and which one does God want? And I think that we don't have a whole lot of situations, Brian, in life, I think, that fit into a category like that. Because this is something that God wants done. This is not like, which house do I buy? Which car do I buy? etc. This does not fit into the same category as that. Those would be my thoughts.
0: Those are, those are good comments there, brother. Anyone else on that before we move just- on?
3: I just
1: want to say that this was a decision made by the apostles before the church was established. And so it, it can't be used as a part of the pattern for church decisions. If there is a, a pattern or the part of one, it's in Acts chapter 6 where the apostles told the congregation to choose seven men to take care of these uh, Grecian widows who have been neglected in the daily ministration. And But after after elders are established, they have the oversight. Acts 20, verse 17, Paul called to the elders of the church at Ephesus. In Acts 20, verse 28, he tells them to feed the church of God, uh, take care of the flock over which the Holy Spirit had made them overseers. And so the elders are responsible for any and all decisions where there are elders. Where there are not elders, the men just do the best they can. Decisions have to be made uh, in carrying out the work that God gave us. We can't decide to do some work that is not authorized. We can only decide how we are going to carry out the work that God authorized. Uh, And so there, any number of decisions might be involved there. And ideally, where there are others, they make those decisions. Otherwise, we have generic authority to do the best we can.
0: Good comments. I was thinking about Proverbs sixteen thirty three. Is, is the Calvinist uses this verse or the determinist who says, you know, that God has determined every little thing. Um, and they'll go to, they'll run to this verse for that. Uh, so good comments, uh, Mark, what you were saying.
3: Yeah, but I don't think they apply it. You know, I, I don't think that I, I you know, it's kind of like the person that thumps through the Bible, like, well, I'm just gonna let God choose. And, you know, you know, it's Judas went out and hung himself and, what you know go down and do likewise and, and do it quickly and do it quickly you know what <laughs> and so there was something else here i think Bob bob had a good point is if this was a pattern it's strange that we don't find it in the rest of the new testament from, from the standpoint of um it's not in act six like hey cast lots for these men it's not in titus one make sure elders are appointed. And along with the qualifications, don't forget to cast lots for the elders. It's just kind of interesting that there's a lot of other decisions that Paul has to make uh, in the book of Acts and in the epistles. Uh, You know, who do I send Timothy or this person or whatever? Do I go? Do I stay? Do I wait? Do I go to this town? And nothing is said about casting lots. So just another observation.
0: Yeah. All right. Next question that's a live one is the charismatic approach to Christianity by means of sensational or and sensory based guidance fitting with the biblical definition of sens- sensuality or what does the Bible warn about this approach? I can't get those S words out. All right. Uh, Nick, let's start with you. You've been quiet. You want to take a stab at this or yeah,
5: sure. Um, you know, looking at the word sensuality there are uh, some passages in the scriptures that refer to sensuality for example i did a quick uh a concordance search when the question popped up and i saw two uh in the king james version um where this word is found and now i'm having a hard time bringing it back up um there it is it's not the word sensuality it's the word sensual and and it's found in James 315 and uh, in Jude, uh, verse 19. And, and so in Jude specifically, it says these uh, be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit It's talking about carnal people who are really chasing after their flesh. Uh, they're acting like brutes or animals uh, in contrast. This is in contrast to acting in the spirit. And so, when you look at the question, uh, when people are searching after these sensational or sensory-based guidance, they are going after a uh, an emotion or a feeling, which can uh, oftentimes be uh, manifested because of you know you know their emotions or their excitement. Uh, when you look at the manifestation. Of the spirit, as described by these charismatics, uh, oftentimes you know, I know there is a distinction between charismatic and Pentecostals. But for all intents and purposes, we'll just uh, put them all together. There is a uh, there there is an obvious manifestation of something. But when you go and look in other religions, such as in Hinduism, other things like that, they're experiencing very similar manifestations of something going on. And it is, and so we can really uh, rile ourselves up and put ourselves into this interesting ecstasy. Uh, and, and we can get that confused with something spiritual. And so we need to make sure that we look into the scriptures and not get so caught up in the uh, emotions of things, uh, because that can really distract us from what is actual and real. Uh, Not to say that we won't be emotional uh, in Christ. There's certainly that aspect that we need to be zealous, we need to be passionate, uh, but we cannot confuse this uh, carnal emotion uh, with the spiritual walk of life. And so uh, appreciate the question, and those were some of my initial thoughts on on that subject by looking up those uh, that word there in the King James Version in my concordance.
0: Yeah, appreciate it,
2: Terry. I'm I'm reminded of Colossians two in this where it uh, uh, it says that uh, the people can be vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. That sounds to me like you're relying on sensual. Uh, feelings uh, let those things be the thing that determines what the spirit wants you to do and uh, that he he says that's not the way he says that that's not holding fast to the head that is you're not holding to Jesus you're going by your feelings and your emotions and what you imagine and I think it's the fleshly mind creates a lot of imagination and then we run with it. And so he's saying that's not holding fast to the head, Jesus Christ. And Paul reminded us in First Corinthians 14, he says, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, then it's not going to be based on fleshly, the fleshly mind sensing things and trying to feel your way through things and imagine things. If you're going to be a prophet or spiritual, he says, then you have to acknowledge, quote, that the things I write to you, and he told them to use control instead of letting things go and just going with the emotions. He says, "You, I've just told you a list of things to do if you're going to actually follow the Spirit. If you're going to let loose of the Spirit and then let loose of his rules, and you're not a prophet or spiritual. And so you need to acknowledge that the things that I write to you, they are the commandments of the Lord. They're not optional. You can't say, well, I like what Paul said most of the time, but uh, here I think I'm going to go with my sensations and my feelings and my emotions, which really boils down to, I'm going to use my imagination over the written word of God. And if your imagination rules, Uh, you're in big trouble with God because he says, no, that's not the way to go. It's the fleshly mind. Uh, You've got to hold tight to Jesus Christ. I've revealed him and you go with that. Those are my thoughts.
0: Brian. Brian.
4: Yeah, you know, uh, uh, of course, one thing to kind of clarify, the word charismatic could also refer to the idea of those that believe that there were supernatural gifts given in recent times. And and we would say the charismatic approach to Christianity is in error based on that. But more generally, I want to I go back to this word sensual. I appreciate that several guys have grabbed the verse that they like about sensuality. Here's the one I like. It's James chapter three, when he talks about wisdom that is from the earth. And he says it's sensual, it's earthly, it's demonic. What I really like about that passage is that when he says, you know, here's this worldly wisdom, he doesn't just say, hey, here's there's worldly wisdom. He says, hey, here's how you can know when it's sensual worldly wisdom, he says envy, self-seeking exists, confusion, every evil thing are there. He says that the results of that kind of wisdom create an atmosphere of confusion, of error. Um, And I think the Corinthians are a great example whenever they were being, looking for supernatural gifts in a a worldly way for for their own satisfaction. And they had confusion, they had problems, they had envy, there was infighting. And I have to say that what I like about the idea of is something sensual or not, um, in a bad way, we can look at the results. Uh, The Bible says, look at what it brings about. He says that the wisdom from above, pure, peaceful, reasonable, merciful, without hypocrisy, the wisdom from the earth, it causes strife, friction, envy. Uh, You just need to look at the results sometimes to see that. So that's where uh, we're describing our passages on sensual uh, ideas in James 3, uh, 16, 15 to 16 is my favorite.
0: Thoughts.
3: Mark? You know, it might be interesting if to put together like to go through the New Testament churches and say, What does a spirit filled church look like? What does it do? And it's interesting, Brian brings this up. The Corinthians were up there trying to outdo one another with their spiritual gifts, and it was chaotic. And they're called carnal. First Corinthians chapter three. They're just called carnal minded people, immature. Immature believers. And, and when you kind of walk through, you'd say, like, well, a, a spirit filled congregation preaches God's word in season and out of season. It sings from the heart, and everyone sings. It um, reverently observes communion, first Corinthians 11, gives as it's, as it's been prospered. It opposes false teachers, and it um, repro- reproves and rebukes. Um, it has members who live holy, godly lives. Its services are orderly. And and the women remain silent, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it, it's interesting how many aspects of the charismatic movement are contrary to that, that really don't fit that model of a spirit-filled, congregation and i don't know i think that would just be a useful exercise out there of compared what a spirit-filled congregation is supposed to look like in the new testament and then compare that with the teachings and practices and behavior of the charismatic movement those are my thoughts uh, uh
1: the train has left the station
0: <laughs> did you forget it
1: well I, I know what i wanted to say i just can't remember the two words that the two primary philosophies mentioned i think in acts chapter 19 at ephesus uh you have uh, stoic and epicurean right right the stoics they suppress emotion, and so we have that word today stoical expression where somebody is expressionless and i think that's an extreme position where uh especially some who are are opposed to electricity opposed to electric motors uh, any kind of anything that that came into existence after the Industrial Revolution, uh, they are opposed to that. Those people, uh, Ammonites and, and Mennonites, uh, they they uh, are kind of stoical. Then you've got the uh, Epicureans, and they believed in enjoying life. They weren't necessarily uh, uh, going after. Uh, sexual pleasure in the sense of fornication, but uh, they just enjoyed life, and and everything was simply related to what they wanted, what they felt, and and to me that's what this uh, uh, sensuality means today. Everything is about me and about my feelings, about what I enjoy doing, and so if we enjoy doing it, why don't we do, why don't we do it at church? You know, we all have these these. uh Let's let's go to let's go to the uh, to the water park down here uh, in Valdosta, Georgia, uh, as a congregation because we all enjoy those kinds of things. Uh, and so, uh, but especially when it comes to religion, uh, yeah, you've got the speaking in tongues, you've got the uh, the claims to be raising people from the dead. Uh, all of these are are based on what they want what they wish was true. And uh, of course, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that the miraculous spiritual gifts were temporary, that they would be outlived by uh, faith, uh, faith, hope, and love. And he says, and the greatest of these is love because faith will become sight, uh, hope will become possession, but love will never be replaced. Uh, And so you've got to Uh, The miraculous age, uh, which certainly there was faith, hope, and love there, but faith, hope, and love would survive that. But then after the judgment, there'll be no need for faith and hope. There'll only be love, and our love will be far more intense because we'll have direct contact, uh, unimpeded by our physical bodies, direct contact with God and with one another.
0: All right. Appreciate the comments there. And uh, Samuel, I hope that clears up some things for you there. And uh, moving on to the next question. I was asked the question to give a scripture that authorizes one song leader. The person that asked me this question believes in praise teams in the public worship. Uh, can you help me with this? Thanks. Well, Ask them where what scripture authorizes Praise teams in the public worship. Anyway, uh, what do we got, uh, Terry? Let's start with you.
2: Well, it seems to me that when you start on the uh, road to praise teams, and uh, and that means then that you're going to consider that the church is not God's praise team, uh, then you're already, you're already out the door of biblical authority. Uh, and so... Uh, somebody does have to get something started does, does have to get the song started. And so to be decent in an order, um, we could, you know, we can expedite that with a, with a person, but we saying this is the praise team and they're going to get, they're going to be the, the ones that do the praising of God. Hebrews chapter two, verse 12 says in the midst of the congregation, I will sing praises unto you. Ephesians chapter three, verse 21 glory is given in the church in ephesians 5 19 let us teach one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs so that that seems to me to explain uh, exclude a praise team although somebody does get the started uh, get the song started and then first peter chapter 2 uh, verse 9 uh, says that we are uh, to, to Uh, give the praises or speak the praises of him that is that's what god made us all priests we're all priests in this holy nation all collectively a part of this so we're all going to be praising and being a part of that so uh, if you're it just seemed that decent in order uh, would say let's get somebody Uh, you can do it one man at a time Uh, but saying we may get a group of people up here and they're going to be the praise team, I don't think that's scriptural at all.
1: Bob? And not only are there uh, praise teams that are members of one congregation, there are, praise, there are men and women who uh, form these teams and go around from church to church, hiring out their services, being paid to do for the church what the church is incapable of doing for itself. Each local church is self using what God has given, the word, and what talent they have in order to put the word into application. And so each church is self-edifying. Uh, as Terry pointed out, and I appreciate that point, Terry, so much. We're all, each local church is its own praise team. Uh, we praise one another. We praise God. Uh, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, we praise God when we teach, when we preach, when we pray. If, we, if we're not praising God when we pray, then our prayers fall far short of what God expects. And uh, and we praise God when we lay by in store. We praise God when we eat the Lord's Supper. Every activity that is authorized for a local church in its worship is an, an aspect of praise, and Everybody is to be involved in that, but as Terry also pointed out, you've got to have a leader. It, uh, I've tried this spontaneous singing. We did that at Florida College. We'd all come together in the auditorium for chapel, and and somebody somewhere would start singing a song, and everybody would. But you know, you never knew what song. You'd have to run through your songbook and find where they were, you know, find the song number and everything. So, so it's kind of disorderly, uh, but. The song leader provides order and everybody gets on the same page. Everybody has access to the words and to the music and uh, the written music that is uh, so they can so they can join in that mutual and reciprocal uh, singing uh, to praise God and to teach and admonish one another. And so, uh, yeah, each local church is its own praise team.
2: Yeah.
5: Nick. Yeah, I've heard different cultures uh, do things a little differently, but still at the end of the day, you got somebody starting and then there's organization. Uh, I've heard like over in Africa and other places like that, you know, there's not a guy who's standing up in the front, but he is still the one who is, you know, getting everybody on the same page and going. So that's that's interesting. Uh, to look at how it's done across the world in different cultures. Uh, the way that we do it here in America is not necessarily the only way to do that, but still, we want to do things that are decently and in order and for edification. Now, going back to the idea of trying to compare a song leader to a praise team, you're actually comparing apples to oranges, even though at the sound of it or at the start of it, it seems like you've got this uh, solid argument to try to justify a praise team. Because if, if uh, song leaders are justified, then praise teams are justified as well. And that's not the case. That's a uh, logical fallacy going back to our meme uh, from earlier today. Uh, and the reason for that is a song leader isn't up there singing a solo for entertainment. But a praise team, my experience has been that they are being used for entertainment and the congregation is listening to it. Uh, and, and so that, that, that's not the same thing. The song leader is there to get everyone on the same page and to lead the congregation, uh, to sing with the congregation, not to be the solo act, Uh, whereas the praise team is a very different thing. Uh, And so apples and oranges, you got to make sure that we're not uh, crossing our uh, logical fallacies off the list there to try to make an argument.
0: Yeah, good comments. Uh, Brian.
4: Uh, You know, several of the guys talked around this verse, 1 Corinthians 14 to verse 26, though, um, where in 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul is discussing the decorum of the worship assembly. Uh, Several guys have mentioned decently and in order, everything is done for edification. But in particular, in that passage, it speaks about the person who comes forward, uh, comes before the church with a song, with a psalm specifically. And the, the distinction is that one person is, you know, speaking at the congregation or, or leading the congregation in that sense. And uh, we would suggest that would be a good uh, passage to consider as the authority to have somebody who is teaching, leading, uh, uh, preparing the song that needs to be led. And of course, as the gentlemen have already mentioned, that speaks to the language of decently and in order and being done for edification.
2: And somebody uh... Uh, as well, what about choirs? Well, we, that's the same thing. You're uh you're doing something for entertainment, you're doing something that's excluding the congregation uh from the uh from that edification or speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So uh, the choir and the praise team are synonymous in my my view.
3: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh Mark, do you have a comment?
3: Yeah, Brian. Uh Great observations. Ephesians 5.19, it's one another. It's mutual. It's reciprocal. I sing and you sing, and we're both teaching and admonishing one another. It's not one's the performer and one's the audience. Is that everyone, everyone is singing. And so that rules out kind of the choir sort of situation. But also, Brian, I've noticed that it seems like the praise team starts where, and they might not even be up front, but they'll mic them. I've been, you know, I've seen places where they'll, they'll, they'll get the really good singers, four or right. five really good singers, and then they will put the mic on them. And you, you can just tell that all of a sudden, all of a sudden that means that everybody else isn't that important as a singer. And once you do that, you've kind of elevated, you're moving towards that the, the, the singing now is going to be a performance. And it no longer is it just, hey, we don't care what you sound like, man, just sing out and sing from the heart. All of a sudden, we're kind of going the way of the world, more entertainment-based, and we're now more concerned about um, what the really good singers sound like. And so I, I just think that, that's a, that's a train that has a couple stations and it's going to, eventually it's probably going to get to the choir and eventually it's probably going to get to the band. It's just like, that's where it's headed.
0: Those are my thoughts. Great wisdom there, guys. All right, next one. we got to move along. It's 1148. Uh, What is the point of genealogies in the Bible if they skip generations? For example, why is Matthew more concerned about symmetry instead of accuracy? That's a really good question. Uh, who I want to pick on? Brian, go ahead. Well, you know, um,
4: one thing I would think about uh, is that is that it's not an unusual thing for people to to do that even amongst ourselves. If I said, hey. You know, my ancestor is, I don't know, um, Samuel Clemens, you know, something like that. I'm, I'm skipping a lot of generations to describe that to you for the brevity of it. Um, so genealogies aren't meant so much to, to have the specificity of tying in the Bible. They're trying to say somebody's descended from somebody. A great example of that is in Matthew, Matthew chapter one, where it says, hey, Jesus is the descendant of David and the descendant of Abraham the importance there is there was a promise made to abraham about you know his heir that would sit on the throne there was a promise made to Ab- uh, i'm sorry to abraham about his descendant saving the world and to david about a descendant that would sit on his throne and so the writer's going to bring those things together um skipping genealogy is not really that as i said unusual or that troubling because we're not uh we're not trying to establish a specificity of people we're instead trying to to make points about people that are particularly important in in a certain person's lineage, so that might be the first answer I might give about that.
3: And 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 it's not a choice be- on accuracy because the genealogy that Matthew gives is accurate, and 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 the only way the the only Brian the only way that we know that anyone is skipped is because the Old Testament scriptures. <laughs> are 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 there that, that 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 give it and so matthew's not being like deceptive he's not being inaccurate um and i believe there's times in the old testament that the same thing is done with different genealogies where uh, a father might be a grandfather uh, a son might be a grandson etc it's it's interesting to me that of all the arguments that the early church faced brian I don't find the unbelieving Jews ever having a problem with Matthew's genealogy. You you would think if it was a big deal, that would have that that would have been an argument that they would have pulled out, and or that would have been an argument that Saul of Tarsus would have pulled out. I don't ever find that argument used. Those are my thoughts. Yeah,
0: I like I like how you said that. That, that could be applied to all kinds of things. Why make an argument about something if people of the Bible are not making that argument? So I, I like that. Uh, so the way would apply across the board, Terry, did you have something?
2: Well, as to the symmetry of Matthew's account, there's a lot of symmetry. I don't know if you've ever noted but, uh, with Matthew's account, he kind of ordered, it's kind, of kind of parallels uh, Moses five books. There are just five basic sermons in it. And so there's symmetry that kind of matches something else. And it may be for a memorization tool too. You may do symmetry, skip names, but uh, uh, you're still retaining a memory pattern. And so symmetry sometimes is used for memorization purposes for ease of memory. Uh, so that may be a factor involved, but it's not inaccurate at all.
0: Good comments. All right, Are we finished. Anyone else? All right. Moving on. All right. Thank you, team, for the uh, answers there. Appreciate the wisdom and uh, the comments that you had on all those questions. I'm sure the uh, listeners did as well. Any last minute comments before we close up? Going once, going twice, man, y'all are quiet. All right. Appreciate uh, Nick uh, filling in today, uh, which you are basically becoming a regular because it seems like you fill in every week, every week now, but appreciate uh, you being on the show and uh, and guys, appreciate you taking time from your local work. All right, that's all the time we have for today. If you have a Bible question, uh, then send it in to us. Email us questions at answeringreligiouserror.com or private message us on Facebook, facebook.com slash answeringreligiouserror. Our live Bible Q&A goes live every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern time. You can find us live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Uh, If you're not able to catch us live, we are available on podcast. It's uploaded after the show, audio only. And you can also check out our Tuesday night show on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and podcast as well. And that is a study that we're doing on the book of Ecclesiastes. And we did chapter 8 last night, looking forward to chapter 9 this upcoming Tuesday. So if you are following along with that study, we'd encourage you to go ahead and read chapter 9 and be ready with your questions. It is an interactive study, so if you have questions, send those questions to us, and we will be sure to work them into the lesson. Appreciate all the work those guys are doing there. Also, for Answering Religious error, we have the Daily Answer podcast. It is with Mark Dunnigan, and that is Monday through Friday at 5 a.m. Eastern time. So if you're getting ready for work and you need something to challenge you, to encourage you for the day, check out the Daily Answer with Mark Dunnigan. Also on Mondays is Bob Hand's show called Bob's Bible Basics, the three Bs. You can find them on YouTube as well as Facebook. That's every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And don't forget, for the ladies out there, it's a show for women by women called Older Women Likewise every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And you can find them on Facebook, YouTube, as well as on podcast. Search for Older Women Likewise on all major podcast podcasts platforms every thursday at 8 p.m eastern time that's all the time we have for today's show appreciate all those who shared this video like this video and send in questions we'll be sure to get to your question next week if we did not today god bless